0: Let's pray. Dear God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight and open us up to your word. And uh, Lord, as we're thinking about it, we do also pray for uh, the Supreme Court as they're listening to arguments uh, regarding abortion and life. And uh, God, we know that's an issue that's very precious to you. And we know that you value life and as your children, we want to value that. And so uh, we do pray for those of us gathered here tonight, but on a much bigger level, God, we pray that that you would just work your will, and we know that uh, we know that you can turn the hearts of the Nebuchadnezzars and the King Sauls, or the I'm sorry, the Sauls of the world, and so it's no problem, it's no big deal for you to shift just a few justices, and so we do pray that uh, that life would be protected, that our nation would uh, would value human life, and so we pray that you would just grant that as well. And uh, have your way with us tonight, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you, please open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, normally on Wednesday nights, you know, we're, we're as a church reading through the Bible in a year, and we're getting to the tail end of that. So normally we take a passage out of what we've been reading and sort of go a little bit in-depth. And um, so normally I'll try and look and say, you know, what's something what's, what's that the Lord's really speaking to my heart? What's something that I want to share? And then this week as I was praying about it and reading through this, um, as we're, we're getting into the epistles of Paul, one of the things that I think might be helpful for us is just to sort of go through um, part of one of Paul's letters and just sort of look at how do we look at Paul's letters. And, um, you know, we're... In 1 Corinthians, right now, we've got 2 Corinthians, we have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, two letters to the Thessalonians, two letters to Timothy, and the letter of Titus and Philemon. So we've got a lot of Paul that we're going to be covering in the next couple of weeks. And so it's just a couple of things sometimes that if you can sort of understand what an author, how an author works, um, it can sort of help things a little bit. And I think sometimes it's also just helpful as a group to back up and remind ourselves okay, when we read the Bible, you know on our own independently uh, what are we what are we looking at? What are we looking for? because uh, hopefully we should be reading it hoping to glean more than uh, one topic of interest a week right and so there's just there 's a little more to it, and we can 't always go in depth in on Wednesday nights because we 're going at a pretty rapid pace but tonight, I want us just to we 're going to just start in chapter one verse one, and if we don 't run out of time we 'll it all the way through chapter two. We may run out of time. We'll see what happens. Um, but I just want us to sort of just start and see and look at it. So as we're looking at the word of God, uh, we're reading it, and there's really three basic questions that we ask. We say, what does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? Right? Because we want to read the actual words. Uh, we want to understand what they mean and not misunderstand them. And we want to understand uh, if we can, if there's any cultural things that are important uh... that we need to know to help understand something about a little bit better or explain uh... A statement or a phrase a little better and then we want to understand how does it apply to our lives right? so um, so first corinthians is just a great uh, it's just a great book and it's a very uh... it's a very instructive book uh... the corinthian church was exciting and dynamic and falling apart at the seams and not in a good way and so Paul wrote a very corrective letter and he actually winds up writing at least two more we only have one of them and that's what we know as the book of second corinthians um, But so that's how corinthians starts Corinthians, corinth uh... the city where this church was started was a port city which means it was very wealthy uh... It means also it was very immoral it had a huge uh... cult of sexual immorality in it so it's a very wicked culture Um, But when Paul started the church in Corinth, he was there for 18 months. So these people have had a lot of experience with Paul. They've had a lot of exposure to the Word of God, but they still have a lot of problems that need to be dealt with and and addressed. And so, you know, thank God this church is not falling apart at the seams, right? But if the Corinthian church had Paul for 18 months and still needed to get some basics, um, it's not a problem for us to still say, you know what, let's go back to the Word and just look at what it says. So, chapter 1, verse 1, starts off, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. So, so ancient writings, you'd write them on a scroll. you put the who it's from at the top, not the bottom, right? That's kind of a modern thing, because we can scroll and see who it's from, right? So Paul and Sosthenes, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the intro. Paul says, this is from Paul and Sosthenes, and we're writing this to the church at Corinth and to those who have been sanctified in Christ. Um and with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ." So, we are in every place, right, That that would include us. And we're calling on the Lord Jesus Christ. So this letter is written to us. It's for us. It's for our benefit. And then he says, "'Grace to you and peace.'" Paul always begins his letters this way. Grace was a Greek greeting at the time. Peace has always been the Hebrew greeting. Um, And so the early church combined them to say, "'Grace and peace.'" And you know, the Greeks would be say, hey, the grace of the gods be upon you. And the Hebrews would say, hey, the peace of God be upon you. And Paul said, no, may the grace and peace of God be upon you. And he always says them in that order. Right? And if you've heard these books taught uh, very much, you, you know, sometimes this gets a little redundant, but it never gets old because it never loses its vitality. You have grace and then peace, and it's always in that order because you can't have peace until you've had grace. So if you're living a life that is marked by an absence of peace, then the appropriate solution is not whatever. Right? It's not self-help. It's not medication. It's better understanding of grace. So that's Paul's intro. Verse 4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus— that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord." So Paul gives a list of reasons that he's thankful for them. He says, guys, I'm always thanking God for you and for the grace that he gave you and that you've been enriched in him in all uh, speech and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. You're not lacking in any of the spiritual gifts. You're waiting for the revelation of God. You're waiting for the, you know, so he says, guys, you're full of the Holy Spirit. You're full of the spiritual gifts. You're waiting for the return of Christ. I'm always thankful for you guys. And Paul does this in, um, I think, every letter. Um, I don't want to say absolutely because I haven't double checked it, but um, he always starts off by telling people what he's thankful for, right? And it's, Which is a pretty decent general practice, right? If you've got to rebuke somebody, come up with at least one nice thing before you lay into them, right? So Paul's going to do that. He says, Guys, I'm really thankful for you. And then he's going to proceed to give them about 15 chapters of things they need to fix, okay? So. <clears throat> so that's what he's doing, right? He's, and so if you look at it, though, this is a church that's got a lot of things going. This church is ready for the return of Christ. They're full of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things going on, but we're going to get further and realize, you know, this church has got a lot of, like, kind of higher-level stuff, but they're missing a ton of the basics. This church doesn't understand how to be nice to each other. This church doesn't understand how to, like, practice basic uh, Basic etiquette to each other at a pitching, right? Like this church doesn't understand how to do anything uh, except quarrel. And so Paul's writing this, art, this letter to him. And so, verse 10, he says, Now I exhort you, brethren. And that's not like, hey, you know, you might want to think about this, right? Paul doesn't, the Bible doesn't give suggestions, the Bible gives commands. So when Paul says, I'm exhorting you, he's not saying you should think about this. He's saying, Guys, listen up. I'm telling you what to do. I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you would say that you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanas, and beyond that I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Okay, so what's he saying here? He says, guys... I'm going to tell you this. Um, you need to let go of some of your divisions. Right? You guys are dividing over things that really don't matter. You are picking your favorite pastor. He says, some of you guys are starting to follow the, um, you know, Paul first camp. Some of you guys are starting to follow the, you know, we're back in Apollos, and, and the spiritual jerks in the church are starting to be, whole. Uh, we're following Christ. Thank you. Right? Uh, and that's what churches fracture over. Right? Like, who's your real leader? Well, we, you know. Well, we're, you know, we're the Assemblies of God Church. We're the First Baptist. We're the Church of Christ, right? It's kind of, I mean, it's what we do, right? The church, I mean, and I'm not picking on the Church of Christ, but um, it's what every denomination does, right? It's what every group, it's what every church does. We want a fracture. And Paul says, guys, I'm sorry, did Jesus Christ split himself up into pieces, Right? Did did God break it apart and say, let's have this nice little pocket over here of everybody who likes to believe things this way and this nice little pocket over here of everybody who likes to believe things this way and you can have this nice little completely disconnected lives from each other and you never have any conflict and you never get stretched and you never get to learn about different facets of my personality. Is that what God wants? No. Paul says, hey guys, um, you're missing the whole point, right? Paul says, and Paul wisely doesn't start picking on the other camps, right? He says, let's just pick on the Paul camp, okay? He says, I didn't even baptize you guys, right? You weren't baptized into the Paul camp. You were baptized into what? The kingdom of Jesus Christ, right? If and he's like, I and even as he's going on, he's like, I baptized Crispus and Gaius, oh yeah, and uh, Stephanas' household, right? He says, but that wasn't really what I was called to do. I was called to preach. So other pastors were called to different aspects of ministry. And Paul says, that's okay. There are different ones of us who are called to different types of ministries, and it's okay. The gospel is big enough to encompass that, right? Paul's saying, don't let there be divisions over things that really don't matter. Um, And then verse 18, he says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So Paul says, hey guys, when you're dividing, all right, what you're doing is you're acting according to the way the world thinks. You're working according to earthly wisdom. He says, but we live according to what the word of the cross is what he says, the gospel, right? The idea that God sent his son down to earth to die and pay for our sins, to resurrect us to life with him. Okay, he says that's foolishness to those who are perishing. And he goes on and basically he's making this point that the gospel is foolishness to the world. Okay, and um, he says really it's foolishness to the whole Gentile world. It's foolishness to the whole Jewish world. It doesn't make sense to the world because it's operating on a different level, right? I mean, and, and you think about this, um, and we'll get there in just a minute. He's going to go on to explain this. But, um, you know, if you can picture in your mind like a movie with uh, the scientist guy who figures out that the world's about to end, right? Usually in that movie, the guy winds up in a mental hospital because nobody believes him. Right? The point of the movie is that nobody believes him. But what's the subplot of the movie? He's the only one who's right. You get what I'm saying? Right? Or we were talking about this today. Like, so we understand our world in three dimensions. Okay? We've got length, depth, and height. Right? In theory, um, there's different trains of thought. We live in a three-dimensional universe. Some people think there's an infinite number of dimensions. Like the dimensions keep compounding eternally. Some people think there's 10 dimensions and it just uh, stops at 10, right? And you can like compound 10 times. And, And the short answer is nobody in their right mind really knows exactly what that looks like. But let's say somebody came from a 10 dimensional world to our world and tried to explain to us what things are really like in the 10th dimension, right? Our collective assumption would be that they've lost their mind. Because it doesn't make sense. You can't rationally You can't explain it. You can't draw it for me, right? You can't show me the 10th dimension in this world. It just can't happen. So, but does that mean that that person knows less than I do? Right? No, actually that person understands at a much higher level than I possibly can. But they are foolish to me. Although they're actually infinitely wiser, right? So Paul says, hey, the gospel is foolishness to the world. He's not saying that the gospel is foolish. He's saying it's foolishness to those who are perishing, right? To the world, the gospel doesn't make any sense. Why, <clears throat> why would I believe in any of that, right? It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to open up somebody's heart and open up somebody's eyes to recognize that truth. Um, and then he kind of gives them this. He goes on in verse 26. He says, for consider your calling, brethren, wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul says, hey, listen, you guys have had your eyes open to a whole new level. Kind of like you guys understand the 10th dimension now, right? Um, But it's not because you were so brilliant, right? He says, remember, um, there weren't many wise among you who got, who received this. There weren't many mighty there weren't many noble, right? He doesn't say there weren't any. The Lord can and does use geniuses on the earth, right? But they're sort of few and far between. He prefers to use just typical Joes like us, right? Just like small town people, right? He says, hey, you know, there weren't a ton of earth shakers, but God has chosen the foolish things of the earth to shame the wise. He's saying, you know, what God has not chosen to reveal the highest level of his wisdom to the loftiest people on earth. He's actually chosen to reveal it to the lower. He's choosing to actually confound the wisdom and the wise. And if you want to stick with the 10 dimensional metaphor, which might be getting old by now, I don't know. I, I just learned about the 10 dimension thing this week, so I'm still kind of fresh to me. Um, but you know, if you wanted to explain that, it'd be like if you could, if you had the power to explain that and articulate that, and instead of articulating it to you know, the Harvard professors and engineers, or the, whatever, MIT engineers, you decided to just go to Madison and, you know, pick a couple guys out of some ugly brick building and and just explain it to them, right? That would be very counterintuitive. And Paul says, that's what God's doing with the gospel, right? So don't glory in, oh, hey, I'm saved, I understand the truth. We do understand the truth. Right? We understand the gospel. We understand the reality. And the world is out there groping in the dark, and we are walking in the light. Right? We understand truth in a way that the rest of the world doesn't. But it's not because we're so brilliant. In fact, it's in spite of our stupidity. Right? And so he says at the end of chapter 1, so that just like it's written, God saved you exactly to fulfill his word that the guy who's going to boast i better boast in the Lord, right? Because he can't boast in himself. Chapter 2, and I think we'll get through it all. Paul says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, interestingly, if you read the book of Acts, which we read just a couple weeks ago, the church of Corinth was started right after Paul delivered a sermon at, in the city of Athens. And Athens, um, then and now, was sort of the symbol in Western culture of, like, high philosophy. Right? And brilliant geniuses. And we still make pop culture references to Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, and all those other morons. Right? Like, we still talk about them. Okay? And it's been pushing 3,500 years. Okay? But in Paul's time, Paul goes there. And he delivers this super brilliant, eloquent, uh, philosophical argument for Christianity. Right? Uh, really, he uses those, he, honestly, he uses a lot of the wisdom of the world. He quotes from some of the Greek writers. He explains uh, some big picture concepts. And it says, um, some mocked, some said, ah, we'll listen, we'll talk, we'll talk again. You know, we'll, we'll do coffee or whatever. And some believed. And Paul leaves there, and there's never a church planted in Athens from Paul's missionary journey. So, you know, a couple people did believe. But by and large, that message didn't really it didn't generate a lot of lasting fruit, okay? Paul goes to Corinth, and he shifts, shifts gears, shifts focus. Paul says, you know, when I came to Corinth, I decided I was going to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, I decided, you know, I am not going to convince these people based on human philosophy. I'm not going to convince these people based on my eloquence or brilliance or wit, right? I'm not going to convince these people based on the highest ideals of human reason. I'm going to just reveal to them Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. And and he says in verse 4, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Right? He says, I didn't, I didn't convince you because I was smart. If you were convinced, it was because you saw the Spirit of God working in me. And you saw the power of God and you said, you know what? That guy does not have that naturally. There's something deeper going on, and I want to understand that. Paul says, that's what I decided to do as a church and when I planted this church, right? If we're looking at this, we're saying, okay, what does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me, right? It's not saying that human philosophy is bad entirely, right? There's, certain, there's laws of logic. There's laws of reason that, that are good to understand and know, right? It's not saying that we shouldn't have an understanding for the defense of the Gospel, but Paul's saying, if I want to share the Gospel, I'm not going to win you by facts. I'm not going to win you by logic, right? If you're going to be convinced of the Gospel, it's going to be by the power of God, it's going to be by the Spirit of God working through my life, as I tell you about Jesus Christ and Him crucified, right? So if we want to, you know, we we want to be an influence on our culture, that's awesome. We want to be a good testimony. We want to be a good witness. That's great. The most effective way to do that is to let our message be in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. All right. Uh, Verse 6, kind of the same idea as what we referenced earlier, 6 through 9. He says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. <clears throat> so same idea as what we mentioned just a minute ago, right? Paul's saying, hey, I'm calling it foolishness, but it's not really foolishness. It's a higher wisdom. Right? It's wisdom that God has ordained from before time began, right? that eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't understood. This isn't the kind of wisdom that you pick up with your five senses. This is divine wisdom. All right? So that's what he's saying there. Verse 10. Uh, if you haven't been paying attention, now would be a good time to start paying attention. All right? Verse 10. For to us, and God has revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Okay, this paragraph is super important. If you're a skimmer, um, and we're all skimmers occasionally, right, when we're going through the Word, it's like, we're on time crunch, got a couple chapters, right? You do that, you never do that thing where you try and drink your coffee and read at the same time, and you know, kind of look out the corner of your eyes. It doesn't work very well, I've, I've, I've tried it a lot, but you can't remember what you are reading, it doesn't work. Um, but anyways, this paragraph, I have an arrow drawn to this paragraph, And I've got a note to myself to stop and read it again, because it's worth reading. It's worth making sure you pause every time you come to it, all right? Because Paul says this, okay, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Paul says, okay, I'm going to give you kind of a, you know, A equals B and B equals C. So A equals C. Paul's going to give us a little bit of a math equation here. He says, okay, nobody knows what you're thinking except for you, right? If I know you really well, I might have a little bit of a hunch, but really at the end of the day, right now, what's going through your head? You're the only person who knows, okay? You know your thoughts. So what's going through God's head right now? Who knows? Who knows the answer to that? God, right? You're the only person who knows what's going on in your head, so therefore it's no stretch to say. God is the only person who knows what's going on in God's head, right? But God has put his spirit in us so that we can know and understand the thoughts of God, right? Think about what that really means, right? Paul is giving us this explanation of what does it mean know Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be walking in the demonstration of the Spirit and power? And he says, you've got to understand we're not accomplishing this by wisdom and intellect and all this other stuff, but we have a gift. And the gift is we can know what God is thinking, right? Now that doesn't mean that we understand every mystery of God, right? There are some things God has chosen to not fully reveal because he wants us to still trust him and, and You know, God gives us enough facts to make it a very reasonable faith to believe in him. And he gives us enough mysteries to make it a very reasonable faith. Right? It's a reasonable faith. That's what we live in. All right? But we can know the thoughts of God as he's revealing them to us. As we're reading his word, uh, we can know the thoughts of God. Verse 14, he says, But a natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul says, you know what? If you're a natural man, if if you haven't received the Spirit of God, you cannot understand the thoughts of God. Which is important to us, because if you're a natural man and you pick up this book, which is The Breath of God, is how it describes itself, right? Um, How well are you going to understand it, right? I mean, you know, when the world tries to reference the Bible, they'll call it whatever, ancient wisdom literature or whatever, right? It's like they, they can't, they can say like, wow, there's something in there that it's been held as valuable by lots of people for thousands of years. No, no. This is the breath of God. God said he exalts his word above his name, right? He exalts his name pretty highly. He exalts his word higher, right? So it's important that we understand what a privilege it is that we have the mind of God. And Paul understands that, but he can also say it super casually. That's the the thrill of the fellowship that we get to have with God. Paul says, you know, it's been written, who can know the mind of the Lord? He's like, "Hmm, I can, right? He says, we have the mind of Christ. So if we have the mind of Christ, then that means as we're reading the word, as, as we're living life, as we're saying, God, what do you want to say? We can understand it, right? And which is, which is super comforting. Because otherwise, you've got to make every decision yourself, right? What are the odds? What are the tangibles and the intangibles? And what are the, you know, what's the factors? And what are the, uh, what do you think this, you know, how well will this thing work out? And where should I live? And what should I do? And who should I marry? And all these, all these things, right? And they all, and it's like, you got to weigh them all and, and make your best choice. Right and and kind of throw the dice and hope it works, and if we have the mind of Christ, no, we should just just say, you know what? I'm just going to read a little more of the Word. I'm just going to I'm just going to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to learn and grow and draw closer to the Lord. And along the way, He'll give us choices. He'll give us options. He'll make certain paths clearer than others. Right? He'll give us His mind to say hey, this is what I want you to do, right? Um, you know, candidly, um, and, and I'm not saying this in any sort of like arrogant way, but this morning I thought I was going to teach on something completely different, okay? And I sat down to start putting together notes, and it was, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture, but I was just trying to put together the notes, and it was like I was hitting a brick wall. And I was like, I, could, I could, really couldn't figure it out. I, I was like, God, there's this is a beautiful passage of Scripture. It's always relevant. What's going on, right? What What are you trying to do? And and so I just kind of paused and said, okay, let's, you know, slow down a little bit. And I was like, well, let's go through 1 Corinthians, right? So I said, okay. I spent most of the day hoping that I would know what to say for these two chapters. I put together some notes. and I mean, I put, you know, I prepared. I didn't, like... I didn't dump it on the Lord, right? But some of you guys are thinking you should have prepared a little more. But, um, but okay, but that's the mind of Christ saying, you know what, Nate, right now, you don't need to teach on this. Let's, let's focus on this, right? The Lord's guiding and directing. He's leading. He's ha- he wants to have an active relationship with us, right? He doesn't want to have this thing where we live as practical atheists, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then we convince ourselves that he exists on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, right? No, no, it's, it, that is selling it so short. So if you, so, okay, just to kind of connect it, all right, as we're, as we're looking at it all together, if you're coming to the Word of God and you're feeling like the natural man, like, this is just a closed book, I'm not getting anything out of it, well, then you need the Spirit of God, right? Right? You need to receive the Spirit of God. You need to receive the grace and the peace of God. If you're coming at this book and you just have no peace, you need to receive the grace. What you need to know is that Jesus Christ was crucified and resurrected. You need to know that the Spirit of God is working and that He has power. Right? And along the way, you know, sure, there's other stuff you can pick up if you want to. But if you get that, you're good. You can go all the way with that. Right? You can spend your whole life tapping into that, and you'll never hit the bottom. So, we got, the rest of, we got all of next week to get through more of Paul. Right, More grace and peace, more correction, a little bit more encouragement, right? a lot of great stuff. It's, it's beautiful. So, read it. You know What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? If you're skimming, and the Lord says, hey, you were just kind of skimming there, weren't you? Right? Sometimes the Lord will convict you and say, hey, what did that last verse say? And you, you, right? Like, without looking, what did it say? Crud! Right? I mean, have you ever done that? Um, And you can't remember what the last verse you read says, go back and read it again. Right? The Lord wants to speak to us. Right? Because we have the foolishness of the gospel. Right? Which is the higher wisdom that God has revealed to us. It's a glorious privilege and he's offering it to us. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We are, we are just blessed beyond measure that you have chosen to give it to us, to reveal yourself to us through it. God, we pray that we would give it the respect and honor it deserves, that we would uh, have the mind of Christ. We thank you that we have that glorious privilege of, of knowing you, of knowing your thoughts, the thoughts of God. Revealed to us. We pray that that would never grow old. God, please fill us with your Holy Spirit, with your power. Give us your grace and your peace. Have your way with us all for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.